everyone. Hope you're all doing well this morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. Um, I think we'll just start because um, we've quite a bit to get through today. So um, I think we should just start the session and let all the people come in as they uh, as they arrive. So thank you so much and a huge welcome to the first session in Armstrong Wolf's first ever mental health series. And we're absolutely delighted to have Mental Health First Aid England join us today. And in fact, we have actually quite a week planned with a host of speakers, panels and discussion. Mental Health First Aid England will provide the bookends for our week with AMA presenting today on stress, triggers, effects, aids and solutions. And then we have the CEO, Simon Blake of Mental Health First Aid England uh, on Friday with leading with authenticity and compassion. Tomorrow, um, Amma, could you get to the next slide so we can have a little idea of what we're going to cover sure. this week? Thank you. So tomorrow you can see we have our Women's CEO community, which also covers equity, diversity and inclusion. And they're hosting a panel with um, Poppy Jammin from City Mental Health Alliance on the well-being uh, of staff for better productivity and retention. Wednesday, we have one of our very own CEOs from our own community, and he's discussing how we keep and recreate that the, the little breakout sessions, the water cooler chats, whilst working within a dislocated workforce model, which is extremely difficult to do at the moment, and retaining that engagement. But he'll also detail his own journey. Then on Thursday, we have a TEDx speaker, uh, ex-senior vice president for Unilever and co-founder of an amazing charity called Minds at Work. And Jeff will dive into the critical nature of having well-being at the absolute heart of every organisation and why it needs to be an actual strategic priority. So overall, the aim of the week is to reduce the stigma still surrounding mental health and in financial services. We want to hear others' experiences. Know you have a voice. Know you'll be listened to. If you're a leader, be prepared to listen. You matter. Your health matters. Mental health matters. Having access to coping strategies, which will outweigh any challenge, because that's where the problem starts. The problem starts when the pain or the stress outweigh the coping mechanisms that you have at hand. My name is Miriam Rooney. I am Chief of Staff and Global Plant Director for Armstrong Wolf International CEO Community. For those of you who may not be so familiar with us, Armstrong Wolf is an advisory firm to the CEOs in financial services industry. We aim to empower the CEO community through the provision of thought leadership, share experiences, and really provide a platform to promote cross-industry dialogue. I have only just recently joined Armstrong Wolf, and I've come from a transformational coaching background where I worked almost exclusively with C-suite individuals. So I'm only too aware of the impact stress can have on health, on family, and of real quality of life. So I'm absolutely thrilled we're hosting this very timely series and highlighting mental health, particularly within financial services. Today's session will be a slightly different format from our normal webinar, just due to the large number of attendants we have today. So can I ask you to please send your questions in the little chat function throughout the session, and then we can answer as many as possible in the Q&A at the end of Amma's presentation. I can forward all the slides to those who have attended, so please share with your friends and colleagues. I'm now going to hand over to Amma Afrifa-Che. Amma is Head of People, Wellbeing and Equity for Mental Health First Aid England. Welcome, Amma. We're so pleased to have you. So it's stress, triggers, effects, aids and solutions. Amma. Thank you so much for the introduction, Miriam. I'm so happy to be here and pleased that this is on your agenda. Um, I can't see all of you at the moment, but hopefully after I do my presentation, I will um, close down my um, sharing and then hopefully be able to see those around um, the virtual space. So without further ado, as Miriam said, I am Amma Afrifa Chi. I was Che. <laughs> now married, I am Chi. Um, and I am head of 
people, culture and equity, well-being and equity at Mental Health First Aid England. And today I'm just going to hopefully present a bit more around um, managing stress in the workplace, some um, practical steps and data tools you can use. Um, but first I'm going to kick off with an introduction as to who we are, um, just in case some of you don't know um, our social enterprise. So Mental Health First Aid England, as a social enterprise, we have a vision to improve the mental health of the nation by training one in 10 people with mental health awareness and skills. Why one in 10? Because that is actually the tipping point where we actually do see an impact and a lasting sustainable impact in society. We're also experts in workplace mental health. Um, we've worked with over 20,000 organizations and have trained over half a million people in England. And our, um, our training is evidence-based, so our courses are grounded in research and rigorously tested and developed with clinical expertise and people who have lived experiences of mental health. <clears throat> As I said, um, we have been in delivering for 15 years now. Um, we have global recogni recognition as a trainer, and we are just continuing to um, try and achieve our vision the best way we can through our training, through thought leadership sessions like today, um, and helping organizations think about their mental health and well-being strategy as a holistic approach. So for today, I'm just going to quickly go over what I'm going to talk, cover today. Sources of stress, addressing your stress, habits and routines, setting in boundaries, because that is actually quite important and crucial, thinking about connections, and then resources from our team and some useful links, and then hopefully we'll have some time for Q&A and answers. So when we think about stress, um, there are different, and as Miriam pointed out before, there are different things and different parts in our life that actually connect to that, and they're different sources. This um, slide highlights some of the things that actually are, that take place that actually impact stress and actually where stress comes from. And I actually wrote a, a blog recently around um, managing stress and that stress is not necessarily just in the workplace um, or compartmentalized with the workplace. It's actually very much connected to life um, and some of our life events and life changes impact how we um, interact with our colleagues at work and also our productivity. So as you can see, I'm not going to read the whole entire list, and this is um, something that you can actually download from our website and will be available to you. But thinking about things like leaving home, getting married, having children, you know, relationship breakdowns, physical illness, um, accidents and bereavements, legal issues. This actually more so in the last year and a half since we've been dealing with COVID have been very poignant issues that have been up and coming with colleagues, um, you know, peers in the workplace. So life changes are very much fundamental and actually quite high on the agenda when you think about stress related matters um, and sources. And obviously then that comes and links in and connects to the emotional and physical perspective of things, you know, with peer pressure, um, coping with uncertainty, again, something we've all experienced in some shape or form of the year and a half. And then also thinking about um, the physical aspects, you know, I think quite interestingly, people do forget sometimes that what you eat is very much connected to how you feel. Um, and I have remember, I do remember putting on some mood sessions before around um, food and mood, because actually thinking about what you intake into your body very much plays a part of how you feel afterwards. And other things like environment, again, for the last year and a half, we've been all kind of working from home, which has been a very different kind of context to working from home in the past. So things like, you know, some of us, if we are actually quite privileged and lucky to have spaces where in our homes we can actually create um, a workspace, we're quite lucky to have that. For some of us that have had gardens and have the pleasure of actually having that outdoor space, again, not everybody has been um, as lucky as some of us have been to have those environmental kind of opportunities. So again, 
thinking about the environments that we work in, financial pressure, which has been a very critical thing, not just for the last year and a half, but actually as mental health has evolved, a lot of things around financial well-being has also been connected to that and ultimately changes at work too. So again, the last year we've seen um, some of our colleagues being furloughed, a few people being made redundant, a lot of changes that have impacted us all at once in the space of a year and a half can really impact our mental health and our well-being and that impact stress in that sense. So one of the things that we train what we when we do our training and deliver our training is we talk about a stress container. And I need to hopefully this will work when I press this. Yes, I'll keep talking as this builds up. But as you see, when we talk about our stress container, it's very similar to things building up. So it could be different things happening in, in life, having, as I call it, life hacks. But, you know, life experiences happening, and when you have the stress container and it overflows, problems start to develop, and then you start to have emotional leaks. It is really important that we understand um, the limits to or the capacity to our stress containers. And having unhelpful coping strategies do not help that situation, whereas actually if you do have helpful strategies in place, the tap will work and you'll feel less stress. It's a great analogy to just show how, you know, we do take on quite a lot of stuff at work. We take on a lot of stuff in our lives, responsibilities, and as those things build and build and we have no form of release or no form of sharing or having that support mechanism, it can really impact our stress container. So really thinking about the levels of our vulnerability, especially as well, will determine the number of factors, which, you know, you might hear the word resilience being bounced here and there, but actually it is how well we can cope, cope with certain things and the amount of things we can cope with all together at once. So it's really important to try and stay healthy and we need to be very um, vigilant of what our stresses are and our stress levels are, but also be able to sign, spot the signs of when things are getting a bit too much to be able to alleviate that so that you actually don't have the extreme aversion of stress. It's usually the, the same about, you know, um, prevention is better than cure. So when we talk about addressing your stress, what is it that we're talking about and what are the things that you can start putting in place and thinking about when you're thinking about how to cope with stress and actually try and alleviate it as much as possible? And key things is around habits and routines. Having a regular habit, whether you're in the office or at home, can really help. We've been working from home for quite a long time, about a year and a half, as I've mentioned. So, you know, I think that was really important to think about actually making sure that you have created habits so that you are not out of sync so much. We were so used to having our morning routine in terms of commuting to work, where we'd probably check emails, et cetera, and then once at work, you would settle in, et cetera, and that was gone immediately. Um, so having to think about um, what does that look like for you in the home has been very challenging for some people, but also quite easy for some people to put in. But actually having regular routines and habits helps lower stress, you know, forms good daily habits, you take better care of your, your well-being and your health, and it helps with productivity as well and helps you be more focused. So actually, as we probably move from um, fully remote working, depending on where you are in the world or depending on what your company is going to, some people are adopting a hybrid performance, some people are adopt adopting fully remote. But whatever you have put in place or tried to put in place in the workplace, it's really important that you continue carrying on with that when you're in the office, but also equally if you're spending time at home as well and working from home. So it's really important to understand that having habits and routines really help, but not to be so hard on yourself sometimes when a, a routine falls apart. It's more about just resetting and starting again the next day. Balance. 
boundaries. I think boundaries are so important in the perspective of setting them. So, you know, I think it was easy for us to set some boundaries when we're working in the office, but again, having boundaries when you're working from home is equally important, but also boundaries on your time. So thinking about the communication boundaries, you know, understanding, making sure that they're more focused um, and what you want and what you need from a situation, but always crucially to remember to have empathy and hear with nonverbal and reflect around what people are feeling and they're needing. However, when we're talking about boundaries, it's not a selfish thing to have, especially more so when you're working from home, but also in the office. You know, it's around how do you protect your time and ensure that, you know, you are still very much being, you know, being um, leaders in the organization, still being available to people, but still protecting your time in that same place. And the same thing that we would actually say to peers is exactly the same thing we'd say to, to the leadership team. It's very much around people understanding when you're available, how you'd like to be communicated with and what times you'll be communicated at. You know, also the expectation of building these relationships so people understand just because, for example, you're working from home doesn't necessarily mean that that commuting time suddenly becomes built and filled with the meetings. It's actually thinking about how do I recreate that commute at home and have that time for focus time in the mornings, but also throughout the day, how do I manage my diaries to ensure that I have some breathing space and to be able to prepare to debrief and to reflect on things where possible. But it's a two-way system and a two-way conversation, just as equally as leaders in the organisations you work for, that you have to set boundaries. And sometimes it's actually quite easy for us as leaders to do that because we are quite senior in the organisation. It's coming back to this empathy part that I've got in the third bullet, very much thinking about your peers your direct reports and other people in the organization and making sure that you're role modeling that behavior of setting boundaries so that they can, in essence, have the permission to do the same as well. Connection, and I think we took that for granted before COVID started and before the pandemic started. And I think what has really come out of the, the pandemic and just mental health and well-being is that how our people have really understood that we are humanities. We, as we as human beings are, are, are creatures of, of habit, but also creatures of connection. We like to connect with people and we do feel quite ostracized and isolated when that doesn't happen. And according to Action for Happiness, strengthening our relationships and building connections is essential to happiness. So, you know, where we had to try and do that remotely and quite innovatively in the last year and a bit, now as we're coming back into the office, it's really important to understand what that connection feels and looks like, especially if you're going to be creating a hybrid way of work where some of your um, workforce will still be working from home. So how do you continue to connect broadly with people and build that strong relationship? How do you continue to have those close relationships with your family and friends and provide the love and meaningful um, support that they need as well as you? But how do you also broaden the network so there's a big sense of belonging? And this really plays the part of inclusion. So as I mentioned, you know, there'll be some people in the workplace, there'll be some people at home. How do you ensure that you are being inclusive in the way you involve people in things, the way you communicate with people and things and give people the opportunity to participate as well? And one thing I will say about the uh, connection piece is also to review whatever channels you're using, whether it's, you know, Slack teams, you know, WebEx. Again, how, um, how relevant is it now? Does it still work? What can you do better to provide people different opportunities and way to commute and um, to communicate with each other as well? So well-being before work, as I mentioned, you know, before before COVID, we were able to um, have our commuting time where we responded to emails, probably had some 
falls on along the way, depending on our the method of our commuting. But it's equally important to really think about that now, especially as we kind of going back to the work, the building, more so the workplace, because we were still very much working, but also again with those that are working remotely. You know, think about your one-to-one conversations that you have. And we really um, advocate at Mental Health First Aid England having a well-being conversation before working your one-to-ones. And whereas that can happen is thinking about, you know, where can I have opportunities to have workload conversations later on um, versus having that as start of the conversation? An example of this is with my direct reports, I always have a one-to-one wellbeing session with them first, and then we talk about work afterwards in terms of workload. And if we don't manage to finish talking about workload, we find a, a quick huddle time in terms of maybe 10, 15 minutes in the week where we can continue that. But it's really important that you start by asking how people are feeling. And it's, you know, it goes beyond asking the word, how are you doing? Because often enough, when you ask that question, people often don't respond or might not respond with the truth. And it's equally the same when you ask it among your peers, um, when you ask that question. It's really kind of digging a bit deeper. How is your weekend? How are you feeling today? Did you have breakfast? Did you have lunch? Depending on what time you're having your working one-to-one conversations. But at the same time, as, as you're having that connection is to be really um, present Eliminate any distractions and listen actively and attentively. You know, open up, um, open your language in terms of being more empathetic, um, and also making sure that you know you you remember to um, signpost people to where they can actually get further support from. But it's a continued conversation, and I always say with these one-to-one wellbeing conversations, you have to really be proactive in asking, uh, and also have to make sure that you kind of continue asking because again, this is about building trust within the relationships that you have. And often some people might be comfortable to instantly talk and whereas some people not so much. So you have to continue advocate how you advocate and asking the questions until you get that kind of breakthrough for one of a better word where people are starting to open up with you and then actually making sure that they get the right support they're needed. Equally for yourselves, it's again thinking about what support mechanisms do I have? Where have I had the opportunity to talk about how I feel? How am I able to express how I feel? Do I also have those outlets where I can also share and speak about my feelings, um, but also, you know, having that well-being checking for yourselves amongst your support networks, whether it's with your peers um, and also whether it's with your own direct reports. I think sometimes as leaders, we don't want to show that vulnerability of how we're coping. And I understand we do need to have that barrier because not that barrier, but we do need to have that level of of control in that sense. But, you know, we are all also very human. And I think people tend to lean towards um, and connect better with and resonate with people that are authentic in their stories and their journeys, or whether it's mental health or inclusion. Um, so for us as leaders, it's really important for us to think about how are we getting the help we need to enable to sustain ourselves and support our workforce and our direct reports equally. So in terms of exercises and resources that you can use or your teams can, we do have a plethora of these on our on our um, on our website, starting with the weekly wellbeing check-in. As I mentioned, it's about how you ask the questions and the questions that you ask that enable people to open up the conversation. So outside of how are you doing today, this wellbeing check-in actually gives you some really good conversations, conversation starters, as I like to call it, to think about how are you feeling today? You know, physically, mentally, how you feel, you know, you know, are you drinking enough? How did you sleep last night? You know, what's on your mind? I think questions like that really open up the human aspect of connection rather than it being quite robotic and um, robotic and just kind of, um, I guess, surface for one of a better word. 
So again, these will be available to you after today and also available on our website. But they're really good starters to start thinking about conversations that you can questions you can ask in your one to one checkups and conversations. Um, I actually really like this next one in power half hour. Um, I know sometimes we are not sometimes. Often enough, we are very busy in our diaries, our chock-a-block, especially if you are senior leaders in your organization. And sometimes it's really hard just to even put 15 minutes or 30 minutes of your time in the diary just to boost your well-being. But we really encourage it and we really think about even if it's just one day in the week that you can carve out um, 30 minutes just to think about how you empower your half an hour. This guide really shows you how you can boost your well-being and things you can do. Things like motivations and um, to share things, bonding with teammates. You don't have to do it by yourself. You can actually do it as a team and discover. So it's a really, again, great asset that helps you think about in 30 minutes, what can you do? Um, whether it's physical, um, again, connecting with people. Um, I do encourage you to try it. We as an organization are actually doing it tomorrow. Um, uh, and I think it's a really good exercise to do. And I think actually the more and more you start doing some of these exercises, the more and more it becomes quite regular in your routine. And going back to building boundaries, this when you start putting time in like this to really focus on your well-being and mental health and show that role modeling to your um, your peers and your counterparts and your and your workforce, people will start to actually adopt doing that themselves too. The other resource that is really good is 10 Keys to Happier Living. Um, and um, again, it's available on our website and we actually collaborated with um, Actions Happiness on this. But basically what they're saying is that if you do these 10 things, you're actually on your way to a much more happier living and a more positive impact on your well-being. So this again talks, and I'm not going to talk about through the whole resource, but it gives you ideas and suggestions to think about how you relate to people. When you're, why exercise is good for you, thinking about your emotions, how you build direction, doing things that give you meaning, trying out new things that you haven't tried before, or revisiting revisiting old things that you used to do, but you, you, not, you don't do so much anymore. Um, you know, also giving. So all these different things really help you think about your well-being, but also impact your well-being directly through doing these activities. So definitely one to check out um, when we... Um, give you the resources at the end of this presentation, but also available on our website to download directly. So My Whole Self. My Whole Self is a campaign that we launched in 2020. Um, and the reason why we launched this was we wanted to make sure that we were actually um, role modeling and encouraging organizations to really champion bringing your, to really champion your employees, bringing their whole selves to work. We've heard this conversation, we've heard this, as I call it, um, What's the word I'm looking for? We've heard this statement batted around so many times when it comes to inclusion, bringing your whole self to work and being your whole self to work. But actually, what does that truly mean? And that will mean different things for different people. You know, you know, where wherever you're working from, feeling supported to choose to bring your whole self to work is better. It's not just better for well-being, but it's definitely better for business. You know, there's so much research out there that links performance um, and productive performance with support, inclusion and well-being. And we definitely advocate at, at Mental Health First Aid England not separating the two. Inclusion and well-being go hand to hand. And it's very much when you're thinking about your people plans, when you're thinking about your business plans, you know, well-being and inclusion should always be at the core of those things. Um, to enable to create a workplace culture where people truly believe that they are valued, that truly believe that, you know, they, what they contribute to makes a difference. 
and actually be seen and respected. And that's really what my whole self means. And that's what our campaign is where, you know, we're encouraging workplaces to to change their workplace culture, to be more inclusive and to have well-being at the core of everything that they do. So, you know, whilst 18th of um, March has passed, we are still encouraging um, companies to still participate in our campaign because it's not just for one day, it's throughout the whole year. We just celebrate it on that day, but it's really important around um, thinking about your diversity, inclusion, and well-being, putting that at the center of everything that you do. And so we developed this year uh, my whole self toolkit, and again, very similar to the check and um, the well-being checking. It's very much around thinking about steps to look after your whole self. So thinking about your mental health today, how are you feeling today, looking after your well-being. Again, thinking about that stress container, you know how full it is, what am I doing to use for coping strategies, etc. Thinking about how you, you know, thinking about your thinking today, and all that stuff. So this MOT is a really short. A really effective tool to make you start asking the right questions around checking with yourself and how you're feeling and how you're doing. And I want to briefly touch on this in terms of racism and mental health in the workplace, because as you would have seen and heard from well, COVID-19, just the impact it's had on people of colour and black people, but equally so the things around the conversation around racism in the workplace. You know, many people of colour and black people have said they've had to hide their parts and identities at work. You know, equally so whether it's um, an individual who is dis disabled, an individual that is um, identifies with LGBT community, it is very much the same thing. But when we look at it specifically at race in the workplace, you know, the highest performance workplaces are supportive and inclusive. You know, feeling comfortable to be your whole self at work is actually much harder than people think it is. And in this day and age, it's really sad that people are opting not to want to bring their whole self to work because of psychological safety, because they're afraid that they might be penalized, that they, you know, with their career, if they say something. And that's not, I mean, in 2021, that should not be the way we are going forward within our workspaces. You know, and it's really important to understand how you support people of color, black people, colleagues in the workplace. You know, I've Reiterated leading with empathy, and it's really very much the starting point. Always checking in, listening judgment, non-judgmentally, and signposting individuals to the right support. And again, we have created a guidance that helps you think about what you need to do, whether you're a manager, a leader, or a colleague, but also equally thinking about how you advocate and become proactive allies when it comes to dismantling racism in the workplace. And I have lost my mouse. <laughs> in a minute there you go um and a couple more guys that are actually really helpful for you um in just again thinking about yourself but also your peers and um, your work colleagues is very much around um the mental you know supporting your mental health while working from home i've already mentioned the supporting um, the mental health of people of color and black people in the workplace all available to download on that link, um, which will be given to you afterwards. But in essence, these are really good steps to think about how you get set up when you're working from home. Um, but equally, some of these steps can be taken when you're working in the workplace. So again, managing your diaries, making sure that you've got enough time to give yourself a breather, making sure that you re you do reclaim your lunch hours and take your lunch. You know, at Mental Health First Aid England, we have blocked out 12 to 1 with no meetings, and it's actually agreed and accepted in our organisation that we will not be having meetings between that time period to set the boundaries, but also to give people the time that they need to truly have their lunch and take a breath. Um, so again, a lot of these uh, guides are available on our website. But 
here are some useful resources for everything I've talked about and even some more. And these also will be available to you um, to help you think about more so how to look after your well-being, but also the well-being of your um, employees. And I think that is my presentation done. Um, so I'm more than happy to take um, questions. I'm going to stop presenting now so I can see some friendly faces, hopefully. Um, but yes, I'm happy to take any questions that you might have. Thank you, Emma. Sorry, I've had problems trying to unmute. That was that was brilliant. Where um, Emma is the is the best place to start? Like, what is the starting point for anyone? So, if if you obviously start with ourselves and set the boundaries, how do how do we start that off? Because there's, there's there's quite a lot of information for someone yeah. who is yeah. So, where what do you think is the sort of the starting point? So, I think the starting point is just to think about um, when you think about your your well being knowing and understanding where your pressure points are. So in terms of setting the boundaries, um, you know, I think the easiest point to do is, is as you would set your day, thinking about what does your day look like or your week look like and being able to put some, di you know, put some meetings into your diaries. Um, well, I mean, when I say put some meetings into your diaries, be able to look at your diary. And if it's actually a heavy content diary day full of meetings, ask yourself, do I need to be at this meeting? Or when people are setting, sending you meetings, so I'm using meetings as one example, I'll use other examples, but, you know, for example, setting meetings is a really interesting thing because often we get invited to a lot of meetings without asking, why do we need to attend? Um, so usually whenever a meeting gets sent, a good, good starter that I tend to do is when a meeting gets sent, if I don't have an agenda or purpose as to why, so we lead by four P's in our organization. You know, what's the purpose? What is the uh, process, the payoff and the, um, in all of this? So I always tend to ask, am I really needed in this meeting? And if so, what is the part I'm playing in that? That enables you to then decide whether you can decline or think about who else might want, to, who else you might actually invite to the meeting instead of yourself. So again, it's always asking the question with meetings as to why do I need to attend? And if you do, asking for a bit more information beforehand. But also with meetings, one of the things that we do in our organization is for 30 minute meetings, we actually have set our calendars to finish five minutes earlier and prompt us to finish five minutes earlier. So at least you've got a breather in five minutes before your next meeting. It's mm -hmm. the same for an hour. So it's actually structuring your meeting point in that sense. And, you know, so people can see when you're available, if you're not available, putting block, blocking things out to say, actually, no meetings. So again, in my diary, I have certain times in the week where I don't have any meetings and I block that out and specifically ask people not to put any meetings in it. And actually, Heather says, no meetings, please. Um, so it's things like that, that actually, if you start putting into practice, it really helps you kind of give those boundaries in. And in terms of boundaries, where it comes to working. So again, some of us will either be parents or carers or even if we're not parents and carers, you know, there's this thing around where we blend our our life with work. Now you can't ultimately sometimes can't separate the two, especially when you're working from home. So again, it's making sure people understand your working hours. So I work four days a week um, and um, I make sure that people know that I don't work on Fridays, but between Thursdays and Mondays and Thursdays, these are the available times I am available for people to contact me and connect with me. Um, so again, it's setting those boundaries and those rules so people understand how you can actually, when you're available and where, um, and how they can communicate with you. Um, so I hope that helps a bit in terms of um, starting. Yeah, it's, it's, sorry. No, it's absolutely, as you said, it's it's a real boundaries thing, isn't it? You, we've got to set the boundaries. We've got to um, 
take it on board that this it's 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 critical that the boundaries are set from the start, whether it's dealing with your, with your own diary or with other people filling your diary. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, and, and respecting people's boundaries. So, you know, for example, if parents are on the school run and they've told you on, they're on the school run or if you're a parent on the school run, making sure and re-emphasizing I'm not available from this time to that time because I'm actually dropping my child off or whatever it is, but I'm available after this, then people then actually start to respect that. But equally, if people are, you know, but, and I always think that, you know, sometimes it's easier if you you can see someone's, for example, a parent or carer, but then it's like, well, what about someone that isn't? It's equally the same thing. I think it's about you hire adults. So you have to trust them to be able to manage their time. So if someone's not available at this time, unless it's an absolute urgency, then it's about respecting that and just making sure that there's a time where it's available for both of you or the group or the team to meet. Obviously, at the end of the day, it's very much around, again, according to the business need, because that's why we're here. We're working for the business need. But at the same time, it's really thinking about the human element in that. Excellent. We've got some questions, Emma. Um, uh, Lindsay has just gone into banking uh, from a company that was actually exemplary when it comes to well-being. Are there any tips on how to introduce this into a predominantly male frontline sales environment? So, come, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a difficult one, actually. It is a very typical one. And I think um, it really is about finding your allies and advocates to do that. So, you know, talking to, for example, getting to know HR. HR isn't always a bad thing. I work. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think sometimes the HR, um, HR perception of HR is actually not as nice. As, well, it's a bad, it's not a great perception, but actually HR can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. So it's finding who your allies are, speaking to HR to understand um, what what's in place, suggesting and giving some recommendations, finding out if there's actually networks. So if your organization, even though it is predominantly male, if there are networks and um, that already exist, it's how you can actually use those networks to um, to help implement. Yes, I think she's actually in HR. I think Lindsay's actually oh, in HR. Okay. Yes. Well, if you are in HR, then actually that's pretty much something have to start about. ripping it down through the organization. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, great. So I can't see the questions. Well, if you're if you're in HR, then it's actually about using your um, expertise as a HR professional to try and implement some of these things in there. So as a starting point, getting to and finding out who your allies are in the senior leadership team to start advocating these things. Often you will find that there are some really influential people that actually people look to in the business that are actually advocates of well-being and inclusion. So finding those first um, and um, doing that. Perfect other opportunities is if you just come in an opportunity to review some of the policies that you might have or review some of the programs already existing. If there's none, perfect opportunity for you to implement those. But, you know, I am. I'm less of an advocate of the business case because there's so many um, research out there that shows that there is a business case. But if you have to do the business case scenario situation, then do that and then go ahead and do that. But then do that with solutions and that you own. But what I would suggest is even if you're owning those solutions or those initiatives that you want to implement is to get sponsors and advocates in the business so it doesn't become a HR thing, which often happens. I hope that answers your question, Lindsay. Fantastic. We have another question. How do we tackle the old fashioned mindset that well-being and mental health are just a product of younger generations and overreacting? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> it's a really good question. That. That's a really good question. I have to laugh at that. You know, I think it's really interesting when you have multiple generations in the workplace and it's definitely seen as um, a younger generation sort of thing. But I think, again, it's bringing it back to the life experiences and life circles people are in. So 
tackling it is actually making them well not making them but taking them through the journey of actually what does well-being look like in your world so you know just as much as it is very much around you know yes the younger generation being concerned it's actually thinking about you as an individual and the different age groups that you have or the different you know walks of life you might have in your organization looking at that and saying actually sharing those experiences and it's about the stories that help debunk those myths um, it's about getting those diverse voices and the diverse stories um, that are willing to share their journeys that actually helps you break down that stigma in the workplace Absolutely. I think it's about harnessing, isn't it, the different generations and the experience that's there and getting it moved towards as one united front, really, isn't it? Because there's so much good from each age range and, and experience that we need to harness it somehow. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's it's also sharing that knowledge because sometimes people might be fearful of wanting to share and more so not necessarily the younger, younger generation, but the older generation. Because yeah. and I remember this because I was on a podcast last week and we were having this conversation around, you know, back in the day, you could compartmentalize work. You just got to work, you just got on with it and you did what you needed to do. And there was no complaining. There was no, you know, oh, my health or whatever it is. And some people are still built that way. So actually it's making, it's how do you create an environment where those individuals or those groups of people start to feel that actually it's okay to share how they're feeling um, and not be seen as weak or vulnerable for it. Equally as the younger generation being able to help support those peers. It's like, you know, the reverse reverse mentoring but in a different way where you are learning from each other and the way that can happen is if you engage diverse if you engage those diverse groups together rather than um, separately great someone just asked what the four p's were again that you practice in your organization oh, the, four p's. I mean, the four p's which i always forget the fourth one but in essence when you're, <laughs> when you're when you're creating a meeting you need to think about what is the purpose of your meeting um and also what is the um what is the process? So when you're thinking about that meeting, it's right thinking about, okay, well, if the process is, which, what are we trying to get out of this meeting? So the purpose of the meeting is um, to bake cookies. And I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying that as, as an example, as opposed to bake cookies. That's the purpose. The process is, okay, well, what do we need to do to get to, to bake those cookies? And that happens during the meeting. Um, and then ultimately the, the payoff is what are the outcomes that we want to get from it? What does that actually physically look like for us? Or what would that look like in terms of people's contribution and involvement? Um, so that is pretty much what the four P's, well, it's four P's, but generally it's really three. But uh, in essence, it's kind of like, you know, the the purpose is the same, well, actually, let me rephrase that. The, the purpose tells you what you want, what the what what the meeting is for. Then you prepare for that meeting. So again, when I talked about agendas and what's going on, looking at that perspective from that from that shape. So we've got the purpose. Pre preparation is what needs to happen before the meeting. Who needs to get involved? Who needs to do what they need to do? And in the process of the meeting, you outline what's going to happen, what you need to achieve, what you're trying to solve for, and the payoff is actually the outcomes. So how do we get get to that point? And actually, if you structure your meetings that way, then you, then you start to think about who needs to be involved in this meeting. Coming back to the point is we sometimes invite people to meetings are not necessary. So who needs to be involved in that meeting? What role are they playing? It really helps you set the agenda a lot better. And then actually makes people start to think of things differently. And also if you have people that are working remotely, that gets them involved because sometimes you forget about the people that are joining in virtually, whereas actually it's a great opportunity if you need them to prep for something before they come, they can participate in it in advance. And also very good for your extroverts, introverts in your organization too. Absolutely, I'll remember that, the four Ps, that's a great one. 
Um, another question is because of the pandemic and the dislocated workforce, how do we actually recognize the signs of stress or, yes. or what or potentially what would trigger the stress? That's a really good question, um, especially as you say the workforce is dislocated, so you can't see them. It's very much as an yeah, so it's very important when you, this comes back to the well-being questions that I was talking about and making sure you set in the time to check in on people or that your direct reports are checking in on, on whoever the people managers are checking in on the people that they're managing because you will never know unless you do that check-in. And, you know, where there are times where if you are doing it virtually, um, just asking people to share their screens, not all the time. I get it that some people have are having this virtual you know, Zoom fatigue, et cetera. I completely get it. But we have to be proactive as people managers and just checking in. We need to be proactive to ensure that we are checking with people, not just outside of the scheduled wellbeing meetings, but, you know, we've got, as I said, we've got Teams, Slack, IMing people, finding out how they're doing, you know, mm -hmm. having impromptu coffee catch-ups. That's how you find out because also equally more so because you can't see that individual, you have to listen out for certain things. So if you're asking the right questions and act proactively listening, you'll be able to pick up certain things where people say something about how they're feeling or they might be intrepid in terms of not necessarily forthcoming straight away, but you have to continue to ask the questions. So it's very much about listening more so, um, if, especially if you can't see the individual. That's excellent. I think one of the things with stress as well that we need to remember is we've just got to be conscious of it because the long term effects of stress are devastating. Yeah. I mean, I haven't worked in coaching. I've seen the effects of it. So I think the, the way one of the analogies I always use is you can have um, it's the, I think it's the beauty of the, of the human mind. So you can have a deer eating grass in the field quite happily grazing away sees a tiger, fight or flight, runs all its energy, it goes into its extremity so it can run, so it gets, it legs it literally and gets away. <laughs> so 15 minutes later, that same little deer is back eating grass in the meadow, quite happy, whereas the beautiful human mind keeps reliving it, it relives the stress. So all the, the cortisol, all the stress hormones that make you flight, give you that energy to flight, we keep recreating it because our mind doesn't know the difference between real time and imagination. So we live in a permanent state of stress. Basically, it is our, neuro, our nervous system will be affected. Uh, it compromises our immune system. So, so if we're constantly living in stress and we're never going back to the field to graze, we're just constantly living in that in that place. It, we will we, the, the effects will be illness of some sort. Absolutely. And I think, as I mentioned before, it's very much about how do we put those interventions in so that we're not having to then deal with the cure, even though the cure is still a good thing. And I completely agree with you, Miriam. I think, it, and by the way, the way we do that is actually being really honest with ourselves. We, there is something around well-being that we have to be honest about ourselves in that. We also have, as much as we look to our employers to look after our mental health and well-being, we are first and foremost responsible for that. So we have to have honest conversations with ourselves about how am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Why does this trigger me? You know, what is that? Why am I feeling? And I don't think we often, I don't think we do that often enough. And I also don't think I'm a very huge advocate of therapy. And I know most of our organizations, especially in financial services, will do that through will offer that service of counseling through their EAPs. It's really important to listen to your body and to listen and think about and just take that time out to um, understand why you're feeling the ways you're feeling. And if you don't get that support to help you unra unravel that or unwrap that, 
because otherwise what you will do is end up, as you say, Miriam, compartmentalizing things and reliving the trauma. And you know what? You can't move forward because you're, continu you're continually stuck in that moment of trauma, which will actually show itself in very different ways to the trauma that you thought you had exhibited in the first place, if that makes sense. So it's really important to truly ask yourself the right questions, especially if you're going through things, actually understanding why, you, why you're reacting to that that way, why it's triggering you that way, and how you can then get the support you need. It's actually, there is so much more strength in understanding your um, own mental health and well-being than there is denying it, because often people would just rather not want to deal with it. And actually, that's where the strength part comes in, really, truly actually being one with yourselves. And actually, as you start to build that self-awareness, you will get to identify when your body is tired, when you need to take a break, when your mind is just overloaded and you just need a minute versus actually I need a whole week. It's really listening to your body and listening to yourself that helps you support your mental health and well-being. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think the more aware you become, the more you realize you'll see what the triggers are, because a lot of them can just become a habit. You get a habit of you think of someone you, you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about something that happened yesterday and who, who's triggered it. So then you automatically are going into that situation with a, a certain mindset, which before nothing's actually happened in real time, nothing's actually happened. But your your brain, our minds immediately go to worst case scenario. So you're thinking all the worst things that can happen. But actually, in reality, nothing has happened quite quite yet. But you're yeah. waiting. For, you're almost waiting for the worst thing to happen. So once you become aware, I think, of the triggers and become, as you say, much more self-aware. At least we're starting the journey. And also knowing and also knowing, and being aware of the coping mechanisms you use, because not all coping mechanisms are good. So equally with that, being aware of the triggers and the signs is also being aware of the coping strategies that you're using and whether they are truly helping you or not. Yeah. So in terms of the coping mechanisms, um, I remember I spoke to a CEO a few months back and he said his stress and his uh, he, was, he actually had attempted suicide. And he said, and, I, and you were talking about what brings you to that point? Like, where, how'd you get there, really? And it was a very short space of time. I mean, I think some people think this goes on for years. This can happen, you know, in the space of a few months. And he said, my uh, the pain just outweighed my coping mechanisms. And it's such a simple phrase, but it's so powerful. It's we need to have something or some or, or know that there's resources there for us. 100%. I think, you know, what we sometimes forget, I mean, we read about it and heard it, but we sometimes forget how powerful our mind is. You know, we always have the same, we have so many things like mind over matter and all that stuff. But we really don't understand how strong and powerful our minds are. And I always say to people, mental health and well-being, especially mental health, is a continuum. It's a continued journey and we all experience it at different times in our lives different periods and in different ways so you know there is no set set um i guess set mo of, yeah. of what that looks like and when it will happen so equally whether it's people whether it's people's um coping mechanisms or having to do with depression suicide or whatever it is you know it can happen at any point in your life and that's one thing to really be aware of and that's why it's really important to kind of know yourself a bit better to understand where that is but in, in terms of coping mechanisms and, and resources as I said, our website has a lot of, of, of resources on there, but equally, you know, there's Minds, there's Samaritans, there's so many support groups that, you know, I've said therapy, I've said counselling. It's really important to get that support network and get it in place really sooner than later, because ultimately, 
and it, you know, and and I also encourage it being quite a diverse network if that's possible. And by diverse, I don't mean like a huge amount of people, but relatively yeah. different types of people. Obviously, there's family and friends because they, you know, they are your loved ones, so they should know what's going on with you. But often we tend to hide that sometimes because we feel that we're the most judged by them. But I think that is really important to have them as a mechanism, but also someone independent and outside of that, which is why you've got things like the Mass Samaritans in mind, but also therapy. But the key thing is being able to have that um, that opportunity to talk about how you're feeling. I can never underestimate and never I always say don't ever underestimate or overrate how good it is to talk to somebody, because that's the beginning of how you start to unpick what's really going on with you. And for most of the time, when people are going through their own mental health journey, they feel very alone and isolated. But that is not the case. Um, you know, once you start to talk about it really start to find that you're not alone in that and actually there's lots of people that are experiencing it or going through it and actually can offer some really good um, examples of how they've coped that you can actually help might help you too oh that's great do you actually have resource on mindful self-compassion which the question has come in on your website that's actually good do we have a resource on mindful self-compassion um if there is i want it as well (laughs) That's a good one. I might actually have to take a note of that and see if we can create a resource for that. I'm, I love that. I, I know. I think so. I need to go back and check, and I will definitely let um, Charlotte and you know if we do. Not to my knowledge, but I think that you know the mindful stuff. Again, it's easy easier to look after someone else than yourself. So mm-hmm. I think mindful self compassion is very much putting that mirror of reflection as how you would do it with someone else that you cared about, but asking yourself the same questions. And, go, and taking yourself through that, that I guess, regime. So if we did, or if I would have developed a mindful self-compassion, compassion, whether it's about self or others, is very much being that place of empathy. And the difference between empathy and sympathy is understanding. You can sympathize with somebody by like, okay, yeah, I get it, but let's move on. Whereas empathy is, oh, I, under, I understand, how can I support you? So when you think about, about yourself, it's very much around um, what do I need to do to make sure that I am being honest with how I'm feeling, but mm-hmm. also be able to express it when I'm not feeling my best self. Um, and actually, what does that look like? And I think it's also doing a checklist of what expectations am I putting on myself? Am I putting those expect? Are those the expectations that others are expecting of me? That society is expecting of me, or is it expectations that I truly expect for myself? Um, I think that also helps unravel that whole place around expectations and putting in boundaries, because once you realize, actually, for most of the time, if you are lead, you are being somebody because of somebody else, ultimately, you will always be in that state of, um, of incompleteness or unhappiness because you're driven by somebody else's either validation or whatever that is. So I think it's really starting from those points where you are thinking about what is it that truly makes me happy? Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I, I like to say joy because I do feel that happiness is fleeting <laughs> in the sense of it's quite temporary when joy is an emotion that always tends to stay. It's like kind of rooted to your core. So for me, I always go by the notion of what gives me joy and where do I find my joy the most? Um, and then through that, I'm able to disseminate whether that is through some individuals or actually that's truly through me. And I think the thing with joy also is very much something that is um rooted in self rather than dictated by external things i hope that makes sense but 
it's coming your way. <laughs> I've made a note that we probably should create one, but I think that when you are talking about self-empathy, it's very much being not too hard on yourself. So again, I mentioned earlier in my presentation, you know, if you've got a list or to-do list uh, for the day and you've, you've got five things on your list and you've only achieved one, one is better than nothing. Do you know what I mean? And even if you get to the point where because everything else has hijacked your day and you haven't achieved anything, it's just taking a breath back and saying, look, if I hadn't, my day wasn't hijacked by these other things, I would have completed at least one thing on my list. So it's just, again, being that much more kinder to yourself mm -hmm. and knowing that you can reset for another day. Um, so it's always leading from that empathy of how you would do it to others, but a bit more to yourself. Sometimes I know I, for one, I'm very hard on myself. I am my hardest critic and I'm learning less and less to do that um, in many more, in more ways than one. So I hope mm -hmm. that helps answer the question, um, but a resource is coming your way soon. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and also on that, I think it's it's good to know that uh, in in the morning our cortisol, our stress levels are at their highest. So we need to take care of ourselves in the morning. And there's that old saying, "Win the morning, win the day," and it's absolutely true. If you have a good morning routine, no matter what happens the rest of the day, you've had a great morning. So you, it, it's going to flow through. And just to be aware of that and to be conscious and not just get into the habit of get out of bed, you know, go straight onto your phone or your your laptop just to give yourself time to ease into the day and and eat the frog, as they said from years ago, if there's one thing you don't want to do and you do it first thing in the morning, then no matter what else happens, you've done one brilliant thing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Maria. Please carry on. No, no, it's just, it's, it's the simple things, isn't it? It's like, win, just yeah. win the morning. So start with the morning routine and then see how you go. Absolutely. And I, and I also think, you know, and if the more, if you're not a morning person, which is me sometimes, but I have to reset <laughs> my motion. Again, if you don't win the morning, there's still how many more hours in the day left. So again, it's about just resetting your time. And even if it's mm -hmm. just five minutes, 10 minutes during the day where things are starting to get a bit haywire, give yourself that space, um, you know, um, give yourself that space to just reset and just have a breath, take a breath and then come back to it. So again, as much as it's great and I, Fully advocate what you're saying, Miriam. Start your day right. You're setting it off, but then trust me, as we all know, something happens and something the whole day goes to pop, and then yeah. you're there, just there, left stressed out. Just to endure. And again, we don't we underestimate what actually just taking a deep breath and just a moment, just by yourself, to just reset yourself and think about, okay, how am I going to deal with this? What am I going to conquer now? And the rest can wait later. And again, setting those boundaries to people. That, that's how you reclaim your day as well. So don't be afraid if you don't make it to 12 o'clock and then something gets disastrous. I want to squeeze in one last question, Emma, if I can, before we're, sure. we're actually almost coming up to the hour. Um, sure. As a junior member of staff, what do you do if your managers aren't being supportive? How do you get them to help things stick or become a habit? Again, I think a really good question. And again, I think it's about finding your allies and other people to support you to do that. If you've got a really good relationship with your manager, then it's having that honest conversation around, you know, what you want to try, you know, putting suggestions, um, putting in some suggestions or thinking about ways in which you can actually do things differently. If you actually are having a difficult conversation with your manager, it's very or a difficult relationship with your manager. It's very much around, again, thinking about how you can get this done in a different way. So are there other managers that get on with your manager that you can maybe serve the season that you've got a good relationship with that you can have a confidential conversation with? Mm -hmm. Are there ways that you could actually um, often, and sometimes I do this where I, I seek permission last and I do things first. 
because sometimes <laughs> that really actually does work. If you are truly aware of what you can do to succeed, you know, whatever you want to do in terms of the solutions or the initiatives or whatever you want to imply, actually benefit the organization. Sometimes you don't have to wait for permission. Sometimes you just have to show it being done and then, yeah. and then it comes to petition. So I hope those are some, some examples. But again, I always say HR is also a really good sounding board because as people managers, they should be doing stuff like that. So how can you sometimes think about ways in which you can provide feedback in a different way so that it's taken on board as part of their, 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 their day-to-day performance? Um, but yeah, I always think seek allies first, seek other platforms and other, other avenues that you can try and see how they can advocate and support you in doing that. Um, and if that doesn't work, then definitely speak to HR and see how that could be resolved. Hope that answers the question. Absolutely. That's wonderful. I think we're coming up to our hour, so we're almost out of time. But I want to thank you so much, Emma. That was wonderful. And I want to thank each and every one of you for attending today's session on stress. I hope you've taken away a few tips for coping. Um, but also an awareness of your mental health. Have the little check-ins, as Amma said. You know, ask yourself, where am I at today? Ask those around you and be conscious of those who you work with. Where are they really at? Just if they say they're fine, try to, as, as Amma said, delve a little deeper. Uh, you cannot outsource your mental health. It is your responsibility at the end of the day and you, you have to be accountable for it. A huge thank you again, Amma. A wonderful presentation and thank you to Mental Health First Aid England for all the wonderful work you do. It's certainly given me a lot of a lot of food for thought. And thank you to Charlotte and Holly in the background who have put all this together and for running my world as always. Um, <laughs> if anyone has any questions, any feedback, we will certainly give you some of the information um, that Emma has given us today and we will distribute that to you all. But feel free if you have any feedback just to um, let us ping us a little message and let us know. Thank, thank you, you so, all so very, very much. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank I you. hope you have a good day wherever you are in the world. Take care of yourselves. Thank you, everyone.